So this is what we need to come to terms with in a bunch of different areas, is that we think we can affect our happiness by changing stuff, and we're motivated to go out and do it, but we often do it wrong. Our mind lies to us about the kinds of things we need. That's Dr. Lori Santos, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Friday. Thank you so much for tuning in with me today as we close out our week with yet another new featured speaker. And she is a psychologist, a professor, and the creator of the most popular course taken at Yale University, where she teaches. And today, She's going to share the top three of her nine lessons of happiness and well-being. Here's Dr. Lori Santos. Enjoy. So this is what we need to come to terms with in a bunch of different areas, is that we think we can affect our happiness by changing stuff, and we're motivated to go out and do it, but we often do it wrong. Our mind lies to us about the kinds of things we need. And this is important, and be based on all these tips as kind of midterm summary so far, right? Like, we can affect our happiness. That's why I start with this image. We can create it for ourselves, but we got to do it the right way. And our minds are lying to us about the things we do. What should we be doing? We should not be paying attention to our motivational systems. We should honestly be paying attention to what the research suggests. Like, what do the happy people do? What actually increases happiness scientifically? And that's what the rest of our tips get at. And the first of these is one of the most powerful effects in the field of positive psychology, which is that if you want to increase your well-being, you should take time for social connections. Every available survey of happy people, to my knowledge, find that happy people spend more time being social. They prioritize time with their friends and family members and loved ones, and they also spend more time with other people full stop. Um, to look at one famous study of this, which is a paper in psychological science called Very Happy People by Diener and Seligman. They did the standard thing where they find these happy people, and they had them write down how they spend their time on a sort of typical Likert scale across all different domains, like what, how much time do you spend exercising, doing religious activities, all these different things. And what was the main difference in how they spend their time that predicted the difference between happy people and not so happy people? All of the effects were in the social category. So the time you actually spend alone is higher, uh, your happiness is higher if you do that more often. Sorry, happiness is lower if you do that more often. If you spend time alone, you're more likely to be in the unhappy category than the happy category. And the time you spend with your friends and family members and loved ones is an even bigger effect where happy people tend to do that more often. Now, you all are uh, scientifically minded, so you might be thinking, ha, correlation, causation, which direction does it go? It could be that hanging out with other people makes you happy, or it could be that being happy makes you want to hang out with other people. You might say, I'm not very happy, I don't want to hang out with anybody, you know, ergo, like, which direction does it go? And luckily, we have experiments that have looked at this. You can experimentally force people to hang out with people, and you can check whether or not that improves their well-being. <laughs> and uh, that's just what researchers have done. 
They've done it in a setting you might not expect, a setting that looks a lot like this. This is work by Nick Epley and his colleagues in Chicago. And he's forced people on the L train to talk to the other people next to them and tried to see if it improved their well-being. And so uh, here's the way the study goes. He walks up to people on the L train, says, do you want to be in a study for a $10 Starbucks gift card? That makes people be in lots of studies, so people say yes. Um, and then they're assigned to one of three conditions. They're either in the connection condition, where Nick tells them, for the, next, for the rest of the train ride, you have to make a connection with somebody who's next to you, talk to the person next to you and really try to get to know them. Or you're in the solitude condition, which is for the rest of the train ride, just keep to yourself and enjoy your solitude. Or you're in the control condition, which is kind of do what you'd normally do, right? Which is often be, solitude, be in solitude, but he can check. And then at the end of the train ride, he's going to survey people's positive mood and see if that affects their mood. And so Nick also knows that people's minds lie to them. And so before he checks what actually happens, he has people predict what happens. And I did that when I threw up that picture and so many of you started laughing. Like, you know, what do you predict is gonna happen? And most people kind of predict that that connection condition honestly is gonna suck. If you ask people, this is what you see, that white bar is the solitude condition. Uh, positivity, so bigger, taller bars is more positivity. People think the positivity condition is gonna be great. People predict that that connection condition, frankly, is gonna suck. Like, you have to talk to this weirdo on the L next to you, like, what's gonna happen, right? But of course, I'm telling you this, and so you can guess what really happens. What really happens is our minds are lying. What really happens is just the opposite. It's the solitude condition, that white bar that sucks. Because you think about you know, things that make you anxious and you ruminate and that kind of stuff. But when you really connect with another person, it actually just makes you happier. And so that's our top insight uh, number five, which is that if you want to be like happy people, you should make time for social connection. And remember that here at this conference, you know, how often do you sprint out of sessions and just go back and go on your email or check your email or head back to your room? There's thousands of other people who care about the same things as you here. Meet someone new after this. That's your sort of mini homework number one. So that was top insight number five. Top insight number six is another thing we forget can be really powerful, which is that helping others makes us happier than we think. Uh, and this is a tricky one in modern day society because these days we have a lot of talk about self-care, um, about treat yourself is another thing we have on pillows and things out there. We think when things are bad, I'm gonna do nice stuff for me and it's gonna make me feel better. But that's not what happy people do. Happy people at every income level spend more on charity than people who are not so happy. And happy people at every income level volunteer more than people who are not so happy. Now again, you could say the same things. Maybe doing nice stuff for others makes you happy. Or maybe if you're happy, you wanna do enough stuff for others. I'm not happy, you know, treat myself like I'm good, right? So which direction does it go? That's what researchers Liz Dunn and colleagues tested. They forced people to do nice stuff for others and tried to see if it improved their well-being. Um, and they did this in a simple study. Um, theirs was even better than Starbucks gift cards. They walk up to people and say, do you want to be in study? People say yes. They ask people to rate their happiness, and then they're given some money. They're either giving five or 20 Canadian dollars, and they're told by the end of the day, you have to spend this money either on yourself or on somebody else. You also have to agree at the end of the day that I'm gonna call you and you have to redo that happiness survey and I'm gonna to try to check how your happiness changed, right? And so those are the conditions. What do people predict? Liz also realizes people's minds lie to them, so she has people predict, I could ask you, which is gonna work better. And this is what people predict. People predict that treating yourself is gonna feel better than treating somebody else, because of course. People also predict that spending the $20 is gonna feel better than spending the $5. In fact, I think they probably predict it's gonna be four times as good, because it's like four times as much money, right? That's what people predict. But what happens is just the opposite. What happens is at the end of the day, and even at the end of the week, that condition where you do something nice for others makes you feel better. The good news for those of us that don't have much money is that it doesn't matter how much money you spend. All the different amounts were equal.
She now replicated this uh, experiment in a spot where five and 20 Canadian dollars goes much further, because you could say, oh, those are just tiny amounts of money. She's gone to rural Uganda where the $5 Canadian condition can buy someone's AIDS medication for a week. And she runs the same uh, study and she finds the same effects. Even with big amounts of money, treating other people makes you feel better than treating yourself. And so think about that the next time you blow $5 at this conference on something silly, uh, what that money could go to. And so that's top insight uh, number six, uh, helping others makes us feel better than we expect. And here's a moment where I pause in this audience to say, how you frame your work can really allow you to harness uh, this particular tip. Like all of you are helping other people all the time, but you forget that in the midst of doing this stuff that it's kind of like, oh, so, you know, can, can feel just so much, so much droning on and these kinds of things. But every moment that you meet with a patient, every moment that you talk to someone is a moment of helping people. If you can remember that and reframe it, it can be a really powerful tool, not to even change your behavior, but to do the same stuff, but reap some well-being benefit from it. So that's top insight number six. Now we're gonna to get to top insight number seven, uh, which is that if we want to be happier, we should make time for gratitude. This is one that's a little bit in the public consciousness, like we should have a gratitude journal, we should like write the things we're grateful for and all this stuff. But it's something that people still really have a hard time with. Like happy people just spontaneously bring to mind things that they're grateful for. And this is a spot where uh, I need help. Um, I'm, I teach this class, but I'm not naturally a genetically happy person, so I have to do these tips. And this is one that I still struggle with. When I finally meet a girlfriend you know, for a glass of wine, I get done my busy professor schedule, and she says, how's it going? I don't immediately list all the blessings in my life. I immediately list all the hassles. I don't talk about any of the coworkers I love dearly. I talk about that one coworker who really you know, pisses me off. Um, but that's not what happy people do. Happy people flip the script. Happy people spontaneously bring to mind all the things they're grateful for. Now, again, you could say maybe that makes them happy, or maybe they do that because they're happy, which is it. And that's where we get to our gratitude list. Scientifically backed evidence that if you just scribble down three to five things you're grateful for at the end of the night, within two weeks, that's statistically likely to improve your well-being. Just two weeks, three to five things that you're grateful for. Um, you know, we hear these things in popular culture, but we forget scientifically how powerful they can really be. But if you really want to harness gratitude, you shouldn't just kind of privately scribble it in a journal or on some phone app. You should actually share it with other people. And if you've been paying attention, you know, if I did a pop quiz, you might be able to figure out why that is, right? Because uh, telling somebody you're really thankful uh, is a moment of social connection, right? You get to talk to them, so you're boosting your social connection. It's kind of doing something nice for somebody else, because if you tell somebody you're really grateful for them, that feels good for them. And it's also like, feeling the gratitude which helps you. So it's kind of a big meta strategy. It should have a big effect on well-being. And that's actually what the data really suggests. If you force people to kind of tell others that they're grateful for them, they get a huge well-being uh, boost. And so here's just one study by Marty Seligman and her colleagues that showed that. This is the gratitude visit experiment. So in the next week, I want you to write a letter of gratitude to someone who's helped you or been especially kind to you, but you never had a chance to properly think. And then deliver that letter to the person in question. And in best case scenario, read it to them. You know, meet with them and say, don't say anything yet. I just want to get through this and just read it. What do people predict? When I first presented this to my students in class, someone in lecture yelled out emo, which I think is college students speak for like, you know, overshare, way too emotional, we're not gonna do that, right? People think it's just gonna be awkward, right? Some of you even like looking out in the audience were like, I don't know, that seems weird, right? What happens to the person really who receives these letters? People who receive these letters report that it's one of the best moments of their life. 
Not like a 10 out of 10 on some happiness scale, like one of the best moments of their life. And you know this if you've ever had the pleasure of somebody out of the blue thanking you or giving you a thank you card or something like that. Those of you who've had that happen probably have that card somewhere. Like you didn't even throw it away, even though it was years ago. Like you know how important this can feel. And people who receive these feel that way. You're really not just making someone's day, you're making someone's like month or year. But what happens to you? And that's where I find the data even more powerful because it, it positively affects the person who received these things, but has a huge effect on your own well-being. And so here's uh, Seligman's results. This is kind of standard 100-point happiness scale. This is uh, what happens before uh, when you do the gratitude letter versus some placebo where you just write down your memories. Here's what happens when you do the test. You get this big bump up in happiness. But here's the crazy thing that I find so surprising. You go back and you survey these folks weeks later, months later, and what you find is that that effect of the gratitude letter exists for over a month. So for over a month, I can come back and statistically find that your well-being has increased. If I told you today that there's something that you can do for your well-being that would keep you statistically bumped up on your happiness till Memorial Day, you would think I was crazy or selling something ridiculous. But that's the power of gratitude. We don't forecast it, but it can be much more powerful than we think. And so that's where at the midterm I give you actual homework. And your actual homework is that you have to do one of these tonight. Like when you're flying home, like instead of just like scribbling something down or staring out the window, just take 10 minutes and figure out who you want to write this to. My guess is when I put that prompt up, each of you thought of one person like, oh, I would do that person. Do that person. Really do it. Give yourself the gift of bumping up your gratitude. Big thanks to Dr. Lori Santos for stopping by. Her website is drlorisantos.com. Her Instagram is Lori Santos Official. And her podcast is entitled The Happiness Lab with Dr. Lori Santos. And you can actually take the course that she teaches for free by going to her website and clicking on the courses tab. Or to make it easier for you, you can go to today's show description and I have a direct link to the course so you can sign up for that if you're interested. And in doing a little bit of research, I saw that over 4 million people have enrolled so far. And it's something like 11,000 reviews and 93 or 95% of the reviews were a five-star, had a five-star rating. So this course seems to be really well worth it. And also in the show description will be a link to the entire talk, as well as all the links to connect with her and her work. And also... I'd like to encourage you to take this weekend and accept the challenge that Dr. Lori ended her talk with and send someone a letter expressing your gratitude to them. Or if not, if a letter is too much, maybe a simple text message. I can tell you from experience that it's the best feeling in the world for the person receiving it, as well as the feeling you get in doing it. So if you happen to do it, shoot me a DM on Instagram at Depression Detox Show, or you can email me directly at MJ at Depression Detox Show. And that's a wrap for me. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. I hope you have a amazing weekend and I will see you back here Monday. So until then, stay strong. Later. <laughs>